Book Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. Episode 106, and I have a couple of Budweiser's on standby. That's what I'm drinking today, because it's the cheapest German beer you can buy in North America. Just saying. <laughs> my name Gosh. is, for all you new listeners, my name is Paul Alves. Uh, joined, as always, by the one and only Sir Jimmy. How you doing, Jimmy? Jimmy Goots. Yeah, Jimmy Goots. How you doing, Jimmy Goots? <laughs> That's <laughs> tough to get used to, you know, using your real name. Yeah, screw Monsanto. But listen, we, we have to change your... Uh, by the way, you have the best jingle in the whole show. Sir Just saying, it's the only one I'm playing. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us from somewhere in Ohio in his doom bunker, Professor Allen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing well. Good stuff, Professor. Long time no see. It's been at least a week. Uh, that seven days, fourteen days, something like that. Yeah, and and joining us all the way from where are you, Craig? Seattle. All the way from rainy <laughs> Seattle, although it's rainy in Toronto today, it looks like it's sunny in Seattle. It is. It's always, it's never uh, rainy in You, you need a jingle, so I'm going to try here. Craig Dimler! Yeah! Sorry. Paul, um, <laughs> I know Jeff Smith. <laughs> Jeff Smith is a friend of mine. Yeah. You are no the Jeff Smith. <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. And we're, we're going to have to uh, maybe give Jeff a call and get Craig his own jingle because Craig joins us all the time. I love it. I'm just saying. I'm trying to find the Jeff Smith jingle, but I couldn't. Uh, maybe, yeah. we get, maybe we get somebody that's like really good with Photoshop to like take, uh, take that, that little white collar off that one dude that used to come on the show and maybe just put some blonde <laughs> hair on it, some red lips. <laughs> come on. So it's episode 106. We're back, and we're going to talk some books, boys. Why not? Yeah. Why not? That's what we're here for. And maybe even some podcasts. Oh, we might do that as well. Sure. Audiobooks? Uh, whatever. Oh, Christ. Uh, professor, since you haven't been on in a while, I'm, I'm assuming you have some books, and uh, I'm told that they're in this genre. Fiction. 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 Am I close? Yeah, right on target. There you go. I've got a couple. Now, a friend of the show, Myrtle Lafferty, guest way back on episode 82, has a new book out. Hey, Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. Very, it's it's good. (laughs) Very close. All right. The new one is Ghost Trained in New Orleans, and so far I'm digging it about a quarter of the way into it. The premise of this series is that the main character, Zoe, is a human who works for a publishing company that specializes in travel guides for monsters. Nice. <laughs> so if you think your coworkers want to eat you alive, many of her coworkers actually literally want to eat her alive. <laughs> but if she can get her team to New Orleans for their next project and survive and deliver a quality manuscript, she may be able to save her job and her life. Nice. So, so Zoe, obviously, uh, having read uh, and listened to the Shambling Guide to New York City, I'm assuming this is the sequel. Yes, to the Shambling Guide to New York City, and it is available on Audible. <laughs> and uh, oh. Paul, if someone wanted to listen to it on Audible, is there any particular way you'd recommend them doing that? 
Well, then you go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and help the show out and, uh, and join up. And if you're oh. already an Audible subscriber at 9 hours and 12 minutes, this is a great use of your credit. And read by one of the only times I say the authors should read their own work is Mer Lafferty. Because I, I really enjoy The Shambling Guide to New York City. And uh, Professor, please tell us a little bit more about the book. If we do, we'll, we'll play well, a little clip from well, her. Well, well, you know, we've had this conversation before. At least I, I, I know I have with some of the guests that I've interviewed, including one uh, uh, later in the show today, that if you're a podcaster and you've written a novel, right. Murr is about the only one in that category who actually seems to read her own novels. Yeah, well, no, 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 it, it is such an obvious yeah. you know, a coming together of events, and yet it, I don't know if it just goes over. Well, uh, let's give props to uh, uh, Seth, Seth Harwood and Scott Sigler. True, true, true. Come on, they they've been doing it on, the, and they and they released their books free on patiobooks.com. Now that's a nice touch. Yeah, which is a nice touch. I know we we, we mentioned that. To, I remember we mentioned it to Leon Dolan and 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 some others at uh, Tom Panner talk to later today and it just seems like it's never occurred to some of these folks but if you've got a novel and you've got a podcast win-win scenario absolutely let me play a quick clip uh professor allen mer lafferty reading mer lafferty's ghost train to new orleans available on audible.com and i'm gonna guess it might be on patio books at some point or it might have been on patio books just guessing just guessing Iyer was much taller than Zoe. Even seated, her height was impressive, and her stony features depicted a perfect picture of a pissed-off Norse goddess. If, as a child, Zoe had been instructed to draw a pissed-off Norse goddess, she would have drawn Iyer. Long golden braid, crossed arms, furrowed brow. She probably would have put wings on her, too, because Zoe, as a child, thought everything was made better with angel wings, even bugs, which already had wings. Also, she wouldn't have included the Yankee sweatshirt. But besides that, Iyer still impressed Zoe with her palpable divine presence. Zoe fought the urge to cringe, but instead smiled at Iyer and sat down at the table. Before she could speak, Iyer asked, Why have you called me back here? Her voice boomed, echoing through the auditorium. She had great stage presence, Zoe thought, wondering if she should encourage the goddess to go into acting instead of publishing. It's good to see you, Iyer, Zoe said, ignoring the imperative question. All right, so our first encounter was handled poorly, and the fault was entirely mine. And your crazy tempers, she didn't add. We've had an opening in the writing team, and I've had a chance to look over your resume again, so I wanted to see if you were still interested in a job at Underground Publishing. Iyer's face softened, but she just segued into a skeptical frown instead of a look of relaxed ease. Why me? Because Gwen made me, Zoe didn't say. Instead, she said, Gwen tells me you've spent some time in New Orleans, yes? Iyer eased her huge form back into the chair, relaxing at last. Yes, a couple of decades selling music. It is a beautiful city. Zoe smiled. That's why we need you. My team is talented, but having someone we know who knows the city is quite useful. Gwen, uh, mentioned you still didn't have a steady job? Iyer nodded her regal head, her braid bobbing. Employers respond poorly to my passion. They make me angry too often. Here, you would be working with Coterie, and I'm sure they can handle your passion, Zoe said carefully. 
What about you? Are you not a human? I am, she conceded. But I think I've had enough experience now to not be surprised by the actions of one of your kind. Or, if I am surprised, I can at least keep my head. So I'm assuming one of her kind is zombies. And again, probably not, probably not the one clip you wanted on Audible. And Mer, <laughs> contact Audible. Really, get that one zinger, you know, that three minutes out of the, the ten hours. That, and that, that is a longer scene. It's a great scene. It's a, uh, it's a job interview. Right. And so you've got the human attempting to hire a Norse goddess. For okay. a position, so there's a little bit difference in the uh, in the uh, the the power of the people. Though right. of course, uh, Zoe has the authority. Now, now, Professor, I know that uh, Audible is doing a much better job now. I've seen that uh, the previews on Audible are getting better. But as an author or a publisher, you can contact Audible and say that is an you know it's a great part of the book. But uh, if you're only listening for the two three minutes to find out yep. if you want to buy the yep. book or not, that's probably not the ideal two minutes of, uh, of Murr's book, and she might want to contact Audible and give them uh, time codes for her audiobook that, you know... I mean, exactly. it's like, it's like uh, sending a manuscript to an, uh, a publisher. You know, you, you want to give them a decent chapter one, a good first <laughs> sentence, and often authors will. They'll do the Pulp Fiction timey-wimey thing. You know, they'll, uh, they'll make chapter one you know, seven hours or seven days into the book because they want to get that action going right away and uh, really pique the reader's interest. So, Murr, come on. There's a better spot <laughs> in that book, I'm sure. And I, I'm, yeah, I'm adding yeah, to wish yeah, list yeah, right yeah. now. I yeah. am going to listen because it's Murr. Cause, yeah, because, you know, when you look at uh, Amazon and you click the look inside, whatever, you don't get a random page. Right. You, know, you so, get the first couple pages, the last couple pages. You, yeah. You know, you, you don't get, uh, you know... 10 sentences at random from miscellaneous part of the book. And Murr's an awesome reader. You know, one of those people that just missed being an actress. <laughs> so, really so con- did, you, did you see the announcement, I think it was yesterday, that uh, Amazon now, since they own Audible, they've synced the Kindle version and the audio book from Audible, that if you're listening and you stop and you pick up your Kindle it'll take you to where you stopped listening and vice versa. Yeah, that's the WhisperSync uh, feature. Ice. Yeah, that's a nice feature. It's been around for a bit. I've never used it because I, I always pick one or the other. Uh, I'll normally bring a book up to the cottage or whatever, and I just don't see myself going between things like that because I, I mostly listen on Audible now, to be honest. And I've heard people talk about WhisperSync for years or however long, and now I'm like, oh, so that's what it is. Right. So thank well, you, Greg. Well, WhisperSync, they've had WhisperSync on the Kindle to all your devices, but it wasn't, it wasn't always synced to Audible. Right. Now they've actually synced it to Audible. Well, now so it's useful. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Professor, uh, Ghost Train to New Orleans, of course, out now. And I've got, I've got one other just, uh, just quick one, uh, a, a book I finished up by... Uh, thriller writer brad thor called the athena project Ooh. and it's a group of female warriors form the nation's most elite counterterrorism unit okay their code name athena it's the first all-female special ops like uh, fox force five exactly <laughs> 
Oh, even better, Sir Jimmy. <laughs> project Athena there. The Athena Project is based in a remote corner of North Carolina's Fort Bragg. <laughs> so this one, I liked it as terrorists, arms dealers, and even conspiracy theorists. You know what they're like. Those bastards. No, I'd never They've got heard. it all in Fayetteville. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, uh, this one was partially about what exactly is under the Denver airport. That's one of the, okay. one of the threads. The shadow government. Exactly. Allegedly. Exactly. So I enjoyed that one. I know there's at least one sequel out, maybe two. So may pick those up over the summer. The Athena Project by Brad Thor. A, a counter-terror thing. So uh, do we have any... Um, is there any fantasy sci-fi in here, or are we talking like a sort of like a pretty much a no, counter-terror yeah, thriller? In 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 this one, there's a little bit of wacky science involved, but uh, but nothing too nothing too crazy. It's okay. supposedly a real-world type thriller, Tom Clancy type. So sort of like a, like a Tom Clancy story. predictive fiction type thing. Exactly. Sounds good. I I too have a uh, fiction. We'll play the jingle fiction, one more time. Fiction, fiction, I am listening to Mr. Mercedes by Stephen King. I know, I know it's the bubblegum of books, but I, I love me with some Stephen King. Uh, I'm just going to read the... Uh, preview here. In the frigid pre-dawn hours in a distressed Midwestern city, hundreds of desperate unemployed folks are lined up for a spot at a job fair. And without warning... A lone driver plows through the crowd in a stolen Mercedes, running over the innocent, backing up and charging again. Eight people are killed. Fifteen are wounded. The killer escapes. Mr. Mercedes is a war between good and evil from the master of suspense whose insight into the mind of this obsessed, insane killer is chilling and unforgettable. And I'm about three quarters away through this novel. I got to say, yeah, it's chilling. And he does uh, delve deep into the mind of Mr. Mercedes the Killer. Uh, this one's more of a... It's not a supernatural one. It's more of a you know, a crime thriller from Stephen Psych- King. Psychological serial killer type. Yeah. Uh, it comes in at 14 hours and 22 minutes, narrated by Will Patton. Thankfully, Stephen King didn't narrate it uh, on Audible. Uh, but, but, you know, but I, I tell you one thing, Professor Allen. So far, this thing has got me thinking that... Uh, uh, I started thinking about gun control and... You know, knife control and all this stuff. What about car control? What's stopping me, you, or Craig, or Jimmy from plowing our cars into a crowd? And the answer is absolutely nothing. But soon, Google will. Google will soon disable your vehicle. But we're talking 30, 40 years away. But, I mean, the one thing I'm getting from this so far, just as a side note to everyone, is that people in general are, are for the most part, good-hearted and kind people who don't want to kill anyone. Because uh, after, as I was reading this book, I'm standing at, a, you know, at the bus stop or in a car or you know, doing my daily chores, coming out of a 7-Eleven, and I'm thinking, hey, if that guy in that truck right there decided to plow into this 7-Eleven, he'd kill 10 people. There's 10 people sitting outside it. And one thing I'm getting from this book so far, as an aside, is people are in general good people. Human beings are, in, in general, the most of us are good-natured and the only thing that makes us think that, oh, the guy's going to shoot everyone down or the crazy guy's going to come with a knife and kill everyone is your freaking television. Just turn off your television. Turn off.
television. It's making you stupid and paranoid, really. You know, you really think about it. Every vehicle everywhere going at insane speeds and through the city and no one kills each other like Mr. Mercedes does in this book. And it really makes me feel good that we're all good people. Just saying. <laughs> well, now you're going to make my morning commute a little more thought-provoking. That's Thanks. Right. Both <laughs> hands on the wheel, okay? <laughs> I'm speaking slowly because I know that uh, Craig has a nonfiction, and there it is. Hang on. There you go. Nonfiction. Man, I love hearing book picks from my good friends who are all book guys. This is great. <laughs> I'm going to find new stuff to read next week. So nonfiction is where I went. Uh, the... I read The Art of Innovation, Lessons in Creativity from IDEO, America's leading design firm. Uh, it's, it's by Thomas Kelly uh, primarily with um, Jonathan Littman, actually. I mean, Jonathan Littman's the writer. Tom Kelly was kind of the, the guy that filled it in. Tom Kelly's the brother of the guy that founded um, IDEO, which I don't know if you if, – now, let's see. I'll read the little intro here. IDEO, the widely admired, award-winning design and development firm that brought the world the Apple Mouse, Polaroid's iZone Instant Camera, and the Palm V, and hundreds of other cutting-edge products and services. So, I mean, that's kind of what they did. They also did Microsoft's mouse, uh, the, the shaped one. Uh, they did the trackball, the big red trackball for Logitech. Um, it just it, it's an interesting book. It kind of goes through how they operate. It's it's not as much a history of IDEO as much of it is kind of a way. And uh, if anyone's ever worked in an office and hated it, uh, this is the perfect <laughs> book to read. So you'll hate it even more. And everybody just raised their hands. <laughs> Everyone just went like this. <laughs> so it gives you justification. Yeah, it gives you – I mean the way they operate and the way they have their offices set up is uh, I, I think the way most people wish they could have their offices. Right. Phenomenal. So what kind of people do you think would enjoy this book? I, I just said that. Uh, I, I think anybody that's uh, a creative person or anybody anybody that develops things that – you know, in their day-to-day work or even their personal life, whether that be software or hardware. Uh, I think it's a good read. It kind of turns you on to different methodologies. And he goes through a lot of examples, uh, which is uh, great to see how they did stuff. So you say you just said that, but you just extrapolate on that. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the definition of extrapolate is. That was just it. That was it right there, my friend. And Jimmy, I'm assuming in the last day and a half since we did our last episode that you may not have read a book since then? Well, um, I made the mistake of cleaning my office a bit and uh, filing some papers. And I come across this uh, book that I was sent back in December by a gentleman named uh, Michael Cassidy who, who says he's been enjoying our book guy's YouTube channel. Oh, that's been a while. Ooh, so. <laughs> you know, I got to knock the dust off of this letter. So, um, and the website. So he he discovered it, I guess, in November, and wanted to know if we'd review a book. And I, I, you know, I always say yeah. So they'll send me a book. Well, they sent me a book, and this one got shuffled away. And uh, now I got to looking at the the cover of it and reading the synopsis, and I've 
got new interest, and I I guess this is what I'm going to be reading this week. It's a nice thin little paperback. It's, uh, it's called Zodiac Beach. Uh, Adventures of Crew 598, Volume 1, by Michael R. Cassidy. I, I always and like seeing Part 1 or Volume 1, because you know that when you're done, there'll be more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's got 20 nice um, ink drawings in it, which, from what I can see, are by Richard Cassidy. There you go. So, probably his brother, his dad, his son, there I don't go. know. But um, it's about eight high school guys who go out into the Pacific Northwest and seek adventure, bored with uh, video games, school, and sports, and um, yeah, I, that's about all I know, so you, you gotta let us know. Maybe keep my hand Maybe you'll post a review on the site. It'll be fun. Sure. Uh, you can find out more about it. He's at crew598.com or at adventurelit.com. Awesome. Awesome. It says it's for ages 12 to 18, so it's right up my alley. You, you know, yeah, like I, I told you <laughs> that was last show. a little too show. advanced for you? Oh, it's, it's huge font and a lot of easy words, I'm hoping. No, but you, you know, Craig, a lot of the youth fiction, I really enjoy. And, uh, oh, me too. I, I've read a couple of posts recently on the internet, and, and I'm not going to mention the blogs, but they're you know, putting down these youth fiction uh, series and whatnot. But I love the shit out of the... The, the, you know, the Harry Potter series, The Hunger Games. I read it. I mean, it's like bubblegum for the mind, but really enjoy some of these series, so I, I wouldn't poo-poo that. I mean, I would say that maybe 70% of adults right now couldn't read The Hunger Games. They're not at that reading level. So why not enjoy a young adult fiction in your older years? Uh, just feel good, you know, wrap yourself in, uh, in a blanket and uh, have a rye and, you know, read a book. I bet those same people would not approve of me reading comic books in public either. Right, exactly. Or in private. Yeah, and by the way, Professor Allen, comic books, we'll talk later, but I'm really enjoying Earth 2. Oh, great. Superman wiping out the 1%. There you go. <laughs> Occupy that, Wall Street. <laughs> uh, uh, Professor, we, you have an interview that you did, and I haven't listened to it yet. I don't want to comment on it, but we'll, we'll play that after the break. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, this is with a fellow named Tom Panarese, who is a uh, uh, podcaster, blogger. Uh, he's the host of Pop Culture Affidavit and some other podcasts, a uh, blogger. And he's a fellow who self-published a novel better part of a decade ago. And so we talked about all of that stuff, the process of of a do-it-yourself noveling, uh, you know, do-it-yourself publishing back then compared to how it would differ if he did that now. And, of course, he's a novelist and he's a podcaster, so I asked him why he's never done an audio version of his novel, and he did not have a good answer to that question. We'll, we'll have to help him out in that respect. But uh, constant readers and self-published wannabe, self-published writers and writers that want to do an audio and want to do all this stuff, Stay tuned. Hi, everybody. It's Adam Curry here from the No Agenda Show. Best podcast in the universe. But I do want to wish a very happy 100th episode to the second best podcast in the universe. So happy birthday, book guys. guys. This is Professor Allen with a special interview for the Book Guy Show. We're joined today by blogger, podcaster, and novelist Tom Panarese. Tom, welcome to the book, guys. 
Thanks for having me on. Well, you know, we always start our show with a what are you reading segment. So the nightstand, your tablet, that pile next to the sofa. What are you I, reading? Uh, I've got three things. I teach high school English as my day job. And uh, we just today, and this must be like the 12th time I've read this book, uh, Elie Wiesel's Night. In fact, there's a test tomorrow. And, and that, that's a book that always, even though I've read that, I, started, I read that as a sophomore in high school. That goes back 21 <laughs> years ago. Um, now, that's let me book. interrupt you here just for a second. Yeah. Be honest. Do you read the books every year? Or Some is that a case-by-case case basis? It's a case-by-case case basis. Some with, with In the case of Night, I think I'd say just about at least every other year. I'll I'll give it a reread or I'll read it in class while we're reading it's very often um with resources spread thin very often with my at least my general level English classes I have to kind of assign the reading while we're in class because we don't have enough books to send home oh, so I'll just kind of sit there and read mm-hmm. with any of the plays I tend to read them year to year because uh my my students do Ibsen's A Doll's House which I'm actually getting sick of teaching, to be honest. You might have read that. <laughs> that's, that's refreshing to hear. The Shakespeare stuff, I, I do enjoy it, but if I'm not reading it, I like to seek out some sort of performance to watch or listen to. And one of the ones we do every year is Twelfth Night. So, I, I, And I actually got to see that last year. Uh, I'm not very far from the headquarters of the American Shakespeare Company, right. the Blackfriars Theater, which is uh, in Stanton, Virginia. And I'm in, you know, being in Charlotte, so I'm about an hour away. And we went on a field trip to see them do Twelfth Night. It was really, really fun. So I do try to at least maybe once every couple of years read them. A couple of colleagues and I were just brainstorming at lunch one day. We got bored and we started kind of ticking off what we'd read in high school. And I'm like, I kind of want to go back and reread a few of these because some of them I don't remember very well. Or I don't remember (laughs) why I didn't like Great Expectations or something like that. So... I'll throw this out to you, unsolicited. Sure. I believe it was 11th grade, mm-hmm. and I had really the first experience of just not being able to put a book down, having to, at least for a school book, having to find out how this thing finished. And it may have gone to 3 in the morning is my memory, and that was Thomas Hardy's Tess of the Durbervilles. It's still one of my all-time ah. all-time favorite novels. And boy, is it depressing. But I have never read that. My wife has. Well, my, the, my wife majored in English, so... Well, the, old, the old joke with Thomas Hardy is any novel of his, if you want it to end with a happy ending, you start at the back <laughs> and read to the front. So, and that is no that one is no exception. <laughs> nice. Uh, otherwise, the other two things I'm reading, I just started, I had read this years ago, The Hot Zone, Richard Preston. Oh, right. It was from about, what, 94? Details, uh, I believe it's a, a Ebola, an Ebola outbreak and, and, and things like that. And uh, one of my former students, her mother actually works at the NIH uh, campus with, with diseases like that. So I was like, this is going to be really good. And I'm about maybe 50 pages in right now because I just started it yesterday. And I'm like, this is good stuff. And comics-wise, I just checked out the Eric Shanower, who's a writer and artist, has had done a, and I think he's still technically working on it, a graphic novel retelling of the Trojan War called oh, Age wow. of Bronze. The My public library has maybe the first three or four volumes, and I'm on volume three at the moment. There's no gods involved. You know, it is a... Right. 
real world, account. so to speak, yeah, historical account, even though there is, um, you know, they worship the gods and there's mention of these gods, you know, the apple of discord happening, you know, I think it's portrayed as a dream or hallucination or something as opposed to, you know, what we, what we know from reading it and, you know, Poseidon doesn't rise up from the sea and throw people off course and stuff like that. But, but it's, it's done really, really well. And the artwork is, is impeccable. Inside that, that comment there, Tom is mm-hmm. a piece of advice that mm-hmm. I give a lot of people because we're, we're 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 probably both asked the question is I don't know where to start with comics you know where mm-hmm. do I start and I say the public library yes that's the place that's physically oh, yeah. the place to start you will find My- a wide range of stuff there yeah. from superheroes to a lot of the things that you're talking about they yeah they will also pick up some of the more obscure and independent and non-hero just a wide range of books anybody who's listening who has never tried that. You either go to the young adult section and they'll have it there, or I've had the Dewey Decibel number memorized. Seven forty one. Yep, seven forty one. Ever since I was in junior high school, when I used to go, that was like my first stop because I used to check out. I, well, I think it was Superman from the thirties or Batman to the thirties to the seventies. One of those books I used to, and there was a coffee table book that that came out years and years ago called Tales of the Dark Knight: Batman's First Fifty Years. It was from back eighty nine or so. Right, I have that. I have. That. And I used to check it out multiple times. And whenever, and every time I went to the public library, I don't care if I was working on a school project, I'd go down there, bottom floor of the adult stacks on the nonfiction side. And I go down there to see if it was there. And if it was there, I'd check it out. If not, I'd <laughs> grab something else. And then I'd go over the fiction, the bottom of the fiction side, and I used to get the EU Star Trek books. Ah, right. How do you feel about Star Wars maybe pulling the plug on all those EU? Are you are you tied into that canon? Sort of what are your view, views on that? I'm, as a fan and as an English teacher. I'm not tied in in that I actually haven't read a lot of it. My experience with the EU kind of died out in the mid-90s. I think the last book I read was The Courtship of Princess Leia. Yeah. I didn't like it very much. Yeah, that's that's not one of the not, and not, I, not one of the good ones. It, what happened was in college, I read so much for school. Oh, yeah. I missed out on a lot of um, books that I could have been reading. You know, that's why I have never read Harry Potter because it came out largely when I was in college and it just was not on my radar because I was reading a lot of the stuff that was assigned to me. A lot of it was good. It, it just was time consuming. So it, it always bugs me when it's time to reboot something simply because the rights have fallen into your hands and you want to make sure that you retain more of the, I don't know what the legal, like all the legal mumbo jumbo about it, but we're just rebooting this because now we have a little bit more control over it or the new movies are coming out or something and yeah I suspect it has to do with the movies that probably they were allowed they were they being Lucas and Star Wars mm-hmm. were fine with an officially sanctioned EU as long as there was never going to be another movie mm-hmm. but as soon as there's going to be another movie that takes precedence over the millions and millions of words that have been written in the but what, EU but the what I did, movies yeah. take precedence what I didn't get was pocketbooks put out those Star Trek novels for years. Right. I think they just petered out because Star Trek's popularity kind of petered out. But I don't think Paramount put up much of a fuss about the fact that these were simply further voyages of the Starship Enterprise and they were non-canon. And it was just, you know, this is an outlet for some fans. And some of those novels were good and some of them were absolutely terrible. Maybe it's just a totally different animal between between Star Trek and Star Wars. So. Yeah, maybe Star Trek just in general has more of an episodic feel to it. Yeah, you know, even in the the, the later TV series where they, you know, were building in some of that mm-hmm. arcing 
nature of uh, as as TV storytelling changed. But I think yeah. uh, for some reason fans consider that to be maybe it's because it started as TV, you know, to be more a more episodic as opposed to the sweeping epic arc. Yeah, that's that, possible. That Star Wars positioned itself as as, as having. Yeah. I don't know. Being in my mid thirties, I'm kind of along the lines of like you like what you like, and you know if you want to go back and reread all the old Star Wars EU and <laughs> not bother with it. The exactly. same thing with Trek. Exactly. If you don't want to watch the J.J. Abrams movies, you've got six movies with the original cast, and then you've got a bunch with the Next Generation plus seasons and seasons and seasons you can watch over again with the TV shows and stuff. So it's not there's um, enough to keep you busy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Now, how how uh, old fashioned are you in your in your reading? Are you do you, do you read the majority of your books via old fashioned paper, or are you a e reader, electronic reader, audio book? I'm kind of a mix of of paper and and digital. Um, in some cases, it's whatever I can get my hands on. I actually don't listen to audiobooks very much. Um, most of that is because I don't have the time, and I can listen to a three hour podcast, but for some reason, I lose attention my attention span with with, with an audiobook right, or something so the the well the one thing i will say is that um teaching shakespeare every once in a while uh there are and not for all they don't have these for all of his plays but there are a few annotated versions of some of his plays like with 12th night which i teach you can get it on like a, on audible and i can't remember who put it out but you listen to actors perform the play and this nice pleasant british woman's voice pipes in and gives you kind of a breakdown of what's going on in the scene. Oh, nice. You get the DVD extras, the commentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was it, it, it's a great thing because it helped me because I hadn't when I started teaching the play a few years ago, I hadn't read it in God knows how long since college. I'm one of those people who thinks like, you know, if I'm gonna watch if I'm gonna read some drama, I wanna watch it too. Right. If, right. Even if it's not yeah. Shakespeare. So this was kind of cool just so that I can I took notes based on it for for lectures and stuff. But um yeah, so if it's something that is meant to be performed, I'll listen to it audio. But but yeah, paper paper and tablet are are kind of my the one thing that I find a drawback with digital format is lending is not as easy. Right. I grew up in a household where a lot of people read. We all had different interests. My sister is not as much of a reader of fiction as I am. Then again, she's an environmental scientist and I'm an English teacher. So. <laughs> but she, she read a few books and we go to like family stuff, Thanksgiving, you know, my aunts, my uncles, my parents trading books all the time. And when I got into Stephen King back in like the seventh and eighth grade, I just took the book off the shelf, you know, and stuff like that. And and that's the one thing I miss with with having books digital is I got my wife this book for Christmas. It is a an inside look or an oral history of the Food Network. Apparently, really good. And I'm like, uh, I've, I'm, I I've heard good things about that. Yeah, I want to read it, but it's on her iPad. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm like, how do I lend this? Because I have one that I that she wants to read. I read. It's called I Want My MTV. It's basically right. the history of MTV from, and it's so cool. And if we had them in paper, I'd be just like, here you go. And and with me and her, it's not that big of a deal because we'll just find ways to pick right. stuff up. But I've recommended stuff to students. And if I've been able to loan them a copy, they're more apt to read it. Like I had a student who would barely read a thing in my class. This goes back a few years. But he was really into punk and hardcore and that sort of stuff. And we just started chatting up because I listened to a lot of the music. I never really fit the image 
but I did listen to a lot of it. And we started talking about bands, and I said, you need to read this book. And the book was uh, called Our Band Could Be Your Life by Michael Azarat, who's a rock journalist. Mm-hmm. And it's about the Minutemen and, and the, the replacements, and um, it goes by band by band, Black Flag, like all these bands of the 80s. And I brought it, and I said, here, go read this. And he brought it back. It was a few weeks later. He's like, this is so good. And being able to do that with, with, a, with a physical book has, I think, has gotten a few of my students turned on to stuff here and there where if I had just said, hey, go and read this, the chances that they might actually read that instead of me putting it in their hand is, is not as big. And, and I'm the type who will loan out a book, and unless it's one that I really, 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 really like, I don't care if it ever comes right. back. Right. My brother-in-law has my copy of World War Z. I want that back. <laughs> Other than that, and I like the, the ability to to just kind of download something and have it as one at one click and, and stuff like that, as long as they keep the prices reasonable. And we've seen that as as, as comic book guys too. Mm-hmm. That the the pricing of the physical versus the pricing of the digital. There needs to mm-hmm. be some yeah. adjustment somewhere along the line to make those more. I use my Comicsology account to either buy old stuff that I'm never going to get my hands on or new stuff that I'm not ready to commit to, but deleting it off my comiXology account is easier than throwing out a comic book. That's true. I wanted to talk a little bit about Pop Culture Affidavit, which is your blog and podcast. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that, sort of what was your motivation in getting that going? What sort of stuff can we find there? And This indirectly goes all the way back to high school. I'm an old wannabe columnist. I had a column in my high school paper for a year. It wasn't a formal title. It was basically a curse. It was an asterisk, a number sign, a dollar sign, an exclamation point. That was the title <laughs> of the column. I don't remember what the hell I wrote about. I probably have copies of the student newspaper somewhere buried in a box. But when I was in college, I was a sports editor for my at the end of my freshman year, and my co-sports editor and I were looking to fill a half a page every week. And I said, how about we just start writing columns? And we can just fill the page. He's like, well, who do we get to write? I said, well, I'll write the first one because we just need somebody. And you or me are here. (laughs) I called it From the News Leads. I was trying to be Dave Barry, to be completely honest with you. There's nothing wrong with that. Or or as I later discovered him and and a man who was one of my favorite writers um, ever, E.B. White, uh, because I I read a lot of his essays and stuff in, in classes. So. Eventually, we moved it to the what was called the features section of the paper. When I became, when I moved on from the sports section to the uh, editor in chief position, uh, because I was getting tired of trying to write about sports every week. So after college, I discovered blogging. I had a blog for years that is no longer there because I took it down because I was done writing it. This goes back was 2010, I think. I was listening to to Mike Bailey on Views from the Long Box, and it was smack in the middle of his that epic 13 episodes, and it's his entire autobiography in comic book collecting. It's, it's phenomenal. And I'm listening to this as I'm shoveling snow, and I'm like, I can do this. I've done this. I know I've done the thing where I take the the random thing and I write an essay about it and you know stuff. So I, I didn't plan out a podcast because I'd never done anything with podcasting before, but I'd done plenty of blogging. So I decided I'm basically going to create my own column again. And I'm going to do a blog where once a week I post one entry and I take something completely random from popular culture and I just basically wrote down a huge list of topics. I still have it. It's, I typed it up. Um, How much progress and, have have you made on that over the years? Because I imagine uh, things have been added to that list and deleted, and just curious for, from the the original conception. 
I think I've made a decent amount of progress. It, it has become my I don't know what to write about list. Almost all these things I was thinking of, I have some memory of it. I remember the song that was playing in the background when the girl broke up with me over the phone, like that sort of stuff. I just started, um, I would once a week, I'm a movie, a, a song, a comic, but I started doing um, every once in a while, I, I would do an entry on the Teen, Ti- Teen Titans comics, mostly from the 90s, going back to the 80s a little bit, and have been a avid, avid fan of them up until the new 52. I dropped it with the new 52. I decided I wasn't going to. I know for some people, the new 52 for DC Comics was a jumping on point, mm-hmm. and for some, a jumping off point. It gave me a jumping on point, though, to a couple of books that I wouldn't would not have necessarily committed to otherwise. So I, I there's I have a love hate relationship with the New Fifty Two. <laughs> um, the full name of it is Pop Culture Affidavit: The Sworn Testimony of a Dork. Because uh, a, a friend of mine years ago wrote me a letter from college, and she, she's everybody's kind of cool here, although it's kind of a lot of fun when everyone's a dork of some sort or another. And I kind of <laughs> took that as my mantra. And about a year and a half or so into it, I hit a point in my recap of all my Titans comics where Dick Grayson was leaving. And I decided, well, let me do this as a podcast because Robin's been one of my favorite characters for years, decades at this point. So I started taking flight. I started with his origin. I did a couple of stories. And now I'm in kind of a second season on that where I'm just doing kind of random stuff about Robin. Along the way, I decided there's stuff in Pop Culture Affidavit that when I write about it, I would be writing way too much. I would. There were a couple of entries at one point where I was like, this is really long. This could be a podcast episode. And I kind of came to the conclusion that the stuff that I think is really kind of meaty so to speak, I will do a podcast and it, it was, it started as once a month and it, it might be more frequent in the summer when I have more time, but I, I picked topics that I knew would give me like a good hour. So my first topic was an intro episode, but I had just gone to the Baltimore comic con. It was actually my first comic convention in since like high school. And then I did Stephen King's it. And that's when I did, I'll do a movie episode about something like the breakfast club, which I did recently or say anything. And so if, if I can get enough out of it, I will save it for an episode. If it's something that I really, really want to write about, but I'm like, ah, this really isn't going to give me an episode of the show. I'll just, I'll write a blog post about it. So I do a blog post every week and then every three weeks to a month, I do a, a episode of the show. That's interesting that you can sort of yeah. figure out based on the amount of content you have, which format works best for presenting that material? A lot of it is the stuff that I tend to cover in the podcast is pretty well known. And the stuff that I tend to write about on the blog every once in a while is completely obscure or random. Mm, My first entry on the blog was Megaforce. The very (laughs) awesome movie. It's my commenter icon. It's the, it's an old comic book ad with him pointing at the viewers in the over. It says, are you mad enough for Megaforce? In fact, Megaforce is one of my fantasy football team names. It is one of those things where a lot of the stuff I cover on the podcast is well known enough that the people are going to remember it, even if it's not, you know, completely, um, it's not like Star Wars, but I think enough people know like Eddie and the Cruisers. Now, so. one of those podcast episodes, you mm-hmm. talked about the novel that you wrote. Uh, talk about the process of A, writing the novel, and, and tell us a little bit about that. I'm curious. I mean, you're an English teacher, so I guess yeah. you could be objective about your own work. I'm just curious about how that process went. Listening to that episode, it is not shameless self-promotion. Oh, it's totally self-indulgent. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> the reason the reason I decided to do it is a friend of mine had read the novel and uh, he said I, I downloaded your novel 
because apparently now it's available in ebook form. Like I didn't know it was available in ebook form. And well, he's stop like, there. Really, Tell us the novel. The name of the novel is Seville, and which is which is also the name of the town where I'm from. I would say it is a coming of age novel. Uh, it's four friends back from their freshman year of college that summer of being 19 and picking up with everything they left behind in terms of whatever rifts in their friendship had happened the summer before when at least a couple of them went off to college thinking I can don't have to deal with this anymore. So (laughs) in junior high and high school, not having much of a life, I really cut my teeth on a lot of John Hughes and Cameron Crowe and, and all a lot of these films. So deep down, I'm like, I wanted to write something like this. So my friend had read it. He he was raving about it. And I, I went back and read it again because I was like, I hadn't looked at it years and I cringed at some parts and I was like, yeah, this is actually really good. And I realized it had been 10 years since it came out. And that's what prompted me to do the podcast episode. I was like, oh, this was 10 years ago. I'll go ahead and do an episode about this. And I uncovered a lot of what notes I had left in the episode. I go into real detail about this in the episode itself. But I'd actually started the novel when I was 16. Like I said, I'd watched The Breakfast Club too many times. I'd watched, I don't know how familiar you are with Degrassi Jr. High and Degrassi High. I used to watch them every day at five o'clock. And this informed, it doesn't necessarily inform what it was like to be a teenager for me, but this informed a lot of kind of like my idea of the narrative of a teenage story. And I kind of always wanted to write it. So I started jotting down different ideas for stuff. And I went back through personal journals that I have, diaries, if you will. And I found where I had started jotting down ideas for it. And it was around the time of my 16th birthday. And I wrote a short story in high school, which was is part is in the novel in parts of it because it's a it's a prom. It was called Scenes from a High School Prom. I kind of borrowed this the title of the story from a Billy Joel song. And and then from there, over the course of a few years of college, I kind of gradually gravitated to writing this novel and the story that was there and took parts out and put parts in and and the summer after college really wrote the sat down and wrote the first draft. Tried to get an agent, failed miserably learned about print-on-demand publishing and paid the money to have it self-published and and did what promotion I could with what little money I had. And I sold enough copies to make back the few hundred dollars I spent printing it, which I guess is kind of a success. Every (laughs) once in a while, they send me a check for like $2. It means a couple of people have bought a copy of the book. Um, It is available on Amazon. It is available on Amazon. And a copy sold a few months ago on eBay for $14. I don't know if you saw that. (sighs) All right. <laughs> I didn't get a royalty from that. <laughs> Since it's print on demand, they don't go out of print. But unfortunately, you're putting your own money into it. I guess some people would you know, disdainfully call it a vanity press. It was it was an interesting experience. We are fans here of of yeah. self publishing or DIY publishing, whatever yeah. it is, and that that has certainly changed over the last decade or so. You know, yeah. how do you think that process would be different today? If you- I was thinking about it today, and I have a friend who's done quite a bit of DIY publishing, and he's done most of his stuff electronically. But he's done a bunch of he's done some print books when he's seen of interest in the electronic book. And nowadays, I I really like the idea of being your own publisher, especially with because of because of the ease of digital publishing. Even 10 years ago or 11 years ago, this cost me, it, I don't remember how much it was, but it was more than, it was less than a gram, but it was still a hefty sum for me to put money into doing this. Whereas now, you know, the prices can vary, but in some cases there's a little bit more ease and there's a little bit more access to things. And, and the internet's a lot more, 
I use this in, in, a, in a weird sense, but it's more mature than it was 10 years ago in a sense that you can self-publish things and you can promote it via social media and stuff in a way that you didn't, it was kind of there in 2003, but it was not there in the way it is now. And part of me thinks that now oh, maybe I should have waited, but then again, it would have been like 15 years since college or something. I was like, I'm 26 and I haven't published my great novel. And you know, that's why I did it. And rereading it, I was like kind of look at, looking at it and knowing that I had what I had started to do after I published the novel was write short stories about these characters going back because I'm a comic book fan and I'm obsessed with continuity <laughs> going back to their freshman year of high school and building up to the novel where the novel would be in my mind, the center of a much larger story. And I've actually written the, the other side of that too. I keep meaning to try to publish it. I just life, life gets in the way. I don't think the publishing I interned in publishing for a summer in 1998. I was the world's worst intern. <laughs> um, I, was ter- I was terrible, but it was it was the only paid industry, uh, paid internship in publishing. I was with uh, Avon Books. Even then, it was a dinosaur, and it was this whole system of these literary agents as gatekeepers, and you had editors. And the one thing that I think I wish I had had was an editor, but an editor in the sense of somebody who can sit down with you and workshop things with you. And I think that's one thing. A second set of eyes, like yeah. you said, that workshopping opportunity. I know it's out there somewhere. I've got two other manuscripts. One of them is never going to see the light of day because I just abandoned it during the middle of a revision. It was, I got halfway through it. I was like, this is, it's not terrible, but I was like, I can't, it won't work. And then the, the third one, I've rewritten it. Like I've done a revision, like two or three ones, and I keep changing things toward the end. I have like a, a notebook somewhere where I'm compiling a memoir or compiling a series of essays in the style of something like David Sarris, where it is almost memoir-ish, where it's you know true stories about life, and then maybe one day I'll be able to sit down and take kind of all that kind of jumbled mess of what it is and and put it together into something that's coherent because it is one of those things where I've got like fully things fully realized things and I've got scratches of outlines and a lot of times it's just work getting in the way and. Now, we've had a number of authors on the show who are also podcasters. Mm-hmm. So to me, this is the blindingly obvious question. <laughs> you're a novelist. Uh-huh. You're a podcaster. Uh-huh. Where is the audio version of your book? <laughs> that's, that's the exact answer that everyone gives. I don't get it. <laughs> you have the rights to the book. You're a podcaster. Peanut butter and chocolate. It's a, it's two great tastes the, that taste great together, Tom. And the funny thing is, if there was enough enough interest, I probably could get for the female voices. I could probably get a whole production together, considering I teach teenagers. <laughs> There's way too much sex in that book, though. It's it's one of those so things where I'm like, go. I don't think I want my students reading this book. This has to be summer um, extra credit. Yeah, I, I I suppose I could sit down and record one. I think I did read a couple of pieces from it because I I do enjoy kind of reading stuff out loud. Maybe my next one. There you go. <laughs> maybe maybe my next one because, like I said, I've got a couple that I looked at, or, or maybe if if I do a nonfiction piece and and see what and I what avenue I want to take. The other advantage of traditional publishing, this lumbering dinosaur, is the advance. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I love the idea of self-publishing and, and, and I'm going to, I am going to pick my friend's brain because he's done it so many times. And like, give me some tips. You know, this is what I'm interested in doing. Point me in the right direction so that I'm, I'm like maximizing my potential here. 
But in the midst of that, if HarperCollins were to come up to me and say, hey, we want to publish your book and we're going to give you $30,000 to do it, I am not above. (laughs) (laughs) I have bills to pay. Following people who are educators on Twitter can get really, really annoying. But um, they, they talk about publishing. They talk about how kids get a real rush out of putting their stuff, publishing their stuff. And I say, that's great. But I always go back to voice audience and purpose. And I always go back to make sure that when you're publishing something, that there's at least a little bit of polish on it. Blog entries, I at least I try to make sure I've at least done one edit. And it's not just for grammatic grammatical and you know, it's not just for a proofread, but for an edit, a real revision, because there's a reason that part of the process exists. If you're putting something out there, you're writing you are always writing it for an audience as opposed to just writing it for yourself. Because there's stuff I'm sure that every writer writes that they put in their notebook or journal or something that never sees the light of day because they just wanted to get it out. So if we want to find you online, your home base would be popcultureaffidavit.com. Mm-hmm. And from there, we can find the blog and yep. all of the podcasts. Yep. There's there's three of them. There's Taking Flight, uh, which is hosted over at the Batman universe. It's kind of biweekly, but look at Robin, every iteration of Robin, mostly focused on the original Robin, Dick Grayson. There is in Country, which is I am taking an issue-by-issue issue look at the 1980s Marvel Comics uh, war comic, The Nom, which is, at least for the first half of the series, Doug Murray, who was a Vietnam vet himself, his look at his own experiences in the Vietnam War, things inspired by his own experiences in the Vietnam War. And along the way, I've done a couple of specials. I did Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried. I did a look at Platoon. I'm actually dropping... All of it in for one week in July, and I'm doing an entire episode on All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a personal favorite of mine that I've taught for for years now. And and being that it's the centennial of the First World War and stuff, I'm like, I read this comic book and I see so many shades of that novel in this comic book. I'm like, I've got to do this novel. So um, and and then I'm going to go back to the nom and and uh, so that that's that's every two weeks at incountry.podomatic.com. And then there's the podcast associated with Pop Culture Affidavit itself. In the fall and winter, it's about every month. In the summer months, it tends to be every two to three weeks because I have more time to record. This particular year, 2014, I'm doing an entire series of episodes called 1994, the most important year of the 90s. It's been 20 years, and I looked at what happened that year, and I looked at the rest of that decade, and I said, this is really, really a critical year for this decade. I just did the comics 94. I looked at Reality Bites. I have an episode coming out about The Crow. Later in the year, I am going to do an episode about the 1994 New York Rangers Stanley Cup Championship. I've done other episodes. I did blog posts about the last Arsenio Hall show, The Kurt Cobain Suicide. So kind of taking a look at, at the whole year with as many different things as I can. I just have a blast doing that. <laughs> Pop culture affidavit is whatever I want to do. And I think that's what keeps it fresh. And that's what keeps me from burning out on it because I can just pick up something. I want to do an episode about this and I do it. And that's why I really, really have so much fun doing it. Tom Panarese, thanks for joining us on the Book Guy Show. Thank you very much. This was fun. This is Father Robert Balasare, the digital Jesuit from Twyet, this week in Enterprise Tech. And you're listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. And we're back. We're going to talk quickly about non-book related. Now, uh, since Padre SJ got me onto Android for my uh, phone anyways, 
I'm still kind of Apple everywhere else, but uh, one of the cool things about some of the newer Android phones is that whenever you have your home screen up, you can just say, okay, Google, you know, and, and it's sort of like talking to Siri on Apple, and some of the phones, you can do it when the phone's even off, so it's listening to you all the time, so is the NSA and the CIA, I'm sure, uh, listening to the, through the microphone, but... If you have an older phone, and I mean, you know, this is technology, so older phone for me is like last year's HTC One, which I have. You can't do the OK Google at, this, at the home screen. So what you want to do regardless is get Nova Launcher app, which is a replacement for the home screen on the Android, which has a lot more features. I use it all the time. I, I would not use an Android device without Nova Launcher. The most recent update adds a feature in your settings. And a lot of people don't know about it. I've been telling people around, around here that have Android phones that have Nova Launcher, go into the settings, and you can enable the OK Google on your home screen. It doesn't waste too much battery. Uh, as long as you're staring at your icons and your widgets, you can say, OK, Google, take me home. And it'll bring up the, you know, the maps and whatever. You can say, OK, Google, play some U2. It'll play U2. So that's a way to enable that OK Google from the home screen uh, regardless of what device you have. Uh, and again, I, I, I recommend highly Nova Launcher to replace the default Google Launcher. It has so many more uh, features and whatnot. And that's totally not book-related. I know, I know, but it's the book guys show. It's books and guys, and guys talk about Android. No letters, please. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> and you know what's there's, not- a, there's a Kindle app for Android. There we go, tied it in. Oh, hey. That's Bam! Right. I, and I, I do use on uh, Android the Kindle app and the Audible app. And uh, the best audiobook player, by the way, on uh, Android is Smart Audiobook Player. And it has the one feature that I wish Audible would incorporate into their player, which is Sleep Timer. It's a, the Sleep Timer is related to the, the phone moving. So you can start li- listening to an audiobook. As soon as that phone stops moving for whatever amount of time you set it to, whether it's 5, 10, or 20 minutes, it'll shut off the audiobook. So I just leave that feature on. So I'm listening to audiobook. I get home, turn it off. I have a shower. I get ready for bed. As soon as I stop you know, moving around on my pillow or in my bed, it knows that 10 minutes later, shut off, which Audible has to add to their app soon. So a smart audiobook player. It'll also play any MP3s you've put into your... Uh, into your device as well. I'm not sure if it's available on Apple yet, but uh, the best audiobook player on Android, smart audiobook player. I'm moving right along. Professor, I'm, I'm pressing this button. You told me to press it. Podcasts. Absolutely. want to give a, a shout out to a comic book show called The Fire and Water Podcast, because as we record this, I am a few hours away from recording with them. And our theme for that episode, uh, I'm going to be a guest on it, is Great Cheap Comic Book Buys. Nice. works for me. It's my favorite comic books are cheap comic books. Now, now, Um, Professor, as I've learned from you is the cheap comic book buys are usually physical books. Absolutely. And I've adopted that, and I've since been going to my local comic book shops here See? in Toronto and just picking up some Superman stuff. And I know that they're 99 cents on uh, Comixology, but hey, they're 49 cents at the comic book shop. 
you know, my uh, my my solo comic book show, the Quarter Bin Podcast, is all about my love for cheap comic books. And what I found, I, I think you found this too, Paul. It sounds like is that it's much easier to be satisfied with an issue when you pay twenty five cents, fifty cents for it, than when you pay two ninety nine or three ninety nine for it. Absolutely, and and even with a, a free comic book download on any of the digital platforms, I'm not going to pick on Comixology. I can share that free book I got with Craig or you or Jimmy. And we got to see a lot more sharing of digital content to give it worth. I mean, I think, I think what's going to happen, Professor Allen, is as we die off, and we're all going to die, as we die off, our offspring are going to say, why would I buy digital content if my dad spent $80,000 on comic books and they all vanished the day he died, and he didn't tell us, you know, his password, the bastard. <laughs> and I think in the in the in the license and terms and agreements of all things that we buy from iTunes and I buy from Google Play Store and Comixology, in the the license agreement says that you cannot transfer your shit to someone else. So Was, I, wasn't there a uh, an actor suing about that? I can't remember which one. It was uh... whoever he is. Yeah, I applaud him or her. It was a him. I, I try to remember. If, I don't think it was Nicolas Cage, but it was that genre of actor that was, that was doing that, that was suing to make sure that he could pass it all along. Yeah. Well, I think, Craig, the, the whole thing is that we haven't hit that scenario yet where uh, the people that are amassing these huge digital libraries haven't really thought it through. Their kids don't know their password. And even if the kids knew the password, that is still illegal or it's against the terms of service, and eventually, you know, a, a 100-year-old digital account is going to get wiped out because they know that you're not 150 years old. And, and I think and we, we haven't hit that precipice yet of uh, the digital, uh, the, the ability to trade digital content. So far, somehow, they've managed to keep paper DRM-free. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? It will eventually disintegrate in, you know, 300 <laughs> years. I mean... Those those issues of Action Comics aren't looking what? too good right now. They're worth quite a bit, but I mean, even if uh, as a digital thing, uh, even 150 years from now, that digital file should be worth something. You know, regardless of as DRM or not, I should be able to transfer my digital collection to someone else. And we keep harping on this until they realize it. Just saying. Paul Alves' pet peeve of the day. <laughs> it was Bruce Willis is the one suing. Good for him. Good for Bruce. Or at least I guess he's talking about it. He hasn't filed yet. He should. So with the U.S. court system, it'll be about 18 years before anything is decided. There you go. <laughs> and you still cannot drag a dead horse down Young Street in Toronto on a Sunday. On a Saturday, it's okay, or a Wednesday. Not on Sunday, but yeah... The law moves very slowly. I think we're all booked out, gentlemen, but we're going to do this because just because, as we're recording, tomorrow is the beginning of the greatest contest in the world. Who is the greatest nation on earth? Is it Portugal, Mexico? Is it Colombia or Brazil or the USA? Is it Cameroon? We don't know. <laughs> uh, just, just for a lark, just for a lark, we're going we're gonna to get everyone's Final World Cup winner pick. We'll pick it right now, just before the tournament starts. Well, we'll start on my screen from Professor Allen. You get one pick, one country. And they have to be in the World Cup. Okay, <laughs> you can't pick Ireland. They didn't make it this year, okay? 
Germany. Germany. Craig. Uh, I'm going Korea Republic. All right. Going for the long shot. It's, it's south. Listen, north, okay, north, north is not allowed. Well, we'll no. give you both. <laughs> Jimmy. Portugal. Portugal. That's a long shot as well. Yeah. And, and as a, a Persian by uh, DNA, a Portuguese person. Hey, I'm, I'm going to pick, show the support. I'm going to pick Brazil. They've paid the, they paid the referees. They deserve to win it. <laughs> you know, if, you go, if you go by Adam and John on uh, No Agenda, they, you got to figure out what country needs it the worst. What, oh, who's you know what? like in bad shape? You're right, Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're poor. They're I was going to say Brazil after hosting the World <laughs> Cup. Yeah, it could be a disaster. And, and we did talk, uh, Craig, you were saying it's going to be a disaster, right? And oh, so, yeah. So did uh, Padre. Padre Esche. He was there for the World Youth Day. And uh, he said, oh, there was all these delays, and you had to walk for three hours to the, from the airport to the venue. And he said, Americans aren't going to walk three hours from the airport to the venue. They're going to riot. And, but I Americans to, don't know what the World Cup is. But i got to add to that. I'm sorry, but <laughs> World Youth Day, nothing. Uh, World Cup, nothing. Brazil hosts the Carnival every year. And you know what? You know, 30% of the people don't die. There aren't riots uh, the world doesn't end. Brazil continues. And I think if they can host the drunken, like, sexy, transsexual, super sex fest that is Carnival, they'll, they'll survive the World Cup. And I think they will win it. Just saying. I, th- I think this one might come down to me and you. Germany, <laughs> Brazil. Germany, Brazil. And just before we go, guys, I, I gotta, there's been no entries, Jimmy. Yeah, we, Not everybody a needs to just tell everybody to go back and listen to episode 105. Yeah. And get in on the prize Welcome again. Welcome Not a single entry. In our other prize again, we had multiple entries and, and winners. No one has been able to figure this out. The, the, our new sound effect. What TV show does this come from? If you can tell us that, I will send you a random piece of crap in the mail, no matter where you live on Earth. And I did give a clue last week, Sir Jimmy. Yes, right. The TV show is from the same country as our other sound effect we used a hundred times. So... They could be from the same show. <laughs> they could be. They could be. <laughs> so, again, on Twitter, send it to paulthebookguy at gmail.com or tweet me at paulthebookguy or tweet Professor Allen. Tweet FH Books. Tweet one of us. Craig Damon, what's your tweeter, by the way? Uh, Craig D. Craig D. Tweet uh, Craig D. Mine, mine's free hollow, at free hollow books. Uh, that's right, at free hollow books. Sorry. Oh, I'm going to give one more hint. All right. Both of the shows are super terrific. They are. <laughs> they are awesome. <laughs> so if anyone can figure that out, I will send a random piece of crap. And by random piece of crap, I mean good stuff. <laughs> Anywhere in the world where you live, uh, give me your address. I will send you something. We're, you know what? I'm adamant about this. If no one guesses, I'm going to keep going. I don't care if it goes to 300, episode 300. I'm just going to get a box ready. I'm going to keep putting pieces of crap in it every week. And eventually, the person that wins it, I'll ship him a skit of stuff. Like all your junk mail. Yeah. <laughs> credit, credit card <laughs> offers. Pretty much. Uh, 
books that you found six months later. Oh, wait, no. That's That's right. Oh, hey. Hey, oh. hey, now. Hang on. i got to give you one of these. Uh... <laughs> hey, Craig, thanks for joining us the last minute. Yep, no problem. You rock, sir. Uh, tell us about your podcast and what you're doing. Tell us about your I website. Have, I, Something. I have, I have no podcast. Uh, you I have should. a website. Why don't you have a podcast? I, I know you know. had one. Why don't you do it again? We miss yeah. it. We miss I it. I need a host. I need a co-host. Oh. Well, there's three of us but, right and, here. And Hello. I need time. I mean, time right. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started, uh, I went back to school, so that sucks up a lot of time. Hey, can you do the triple Lindy yet? Almost. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I got a website, uh, cymek.com, C-Y-M-E-K.com. Everything lives there. And uh, Dr. Doom himself, Professor Allen. Where can we find Hello. all your great comic book related sites and stuff and podcasts? Relatively geeky podcast.blogspot.com. Nice. And Sir Jimmy, uh, where can we get those amazing hollow books that you can put your pot in and, or your gun or. You know. I tell you what, if you could, you could cram a whole lot of pot into this gigantic Stephen King book I got back here, right. if you're in yeah. Washington State, that is, or perhaps Colorado. <laughs> Or any one of the 17 to 20 different states where medical marijuana has, uh, has made its way to the forefront. That's Hallelujah. Right. And God bless you, Americanos, because uh, with all that stuff going legal all across your country, I-, I figure it's about five years before you guys are totally legal, and probably another five years after that before Canada says we're okay to do it too. <laughs> I mean, we really, I- I've seen some medical situations, children and adults that really could use that. Oh, I've got a miracle headaches. plant, and they're not oh. allowed to. It's yeah. so bright out when the sun's out. Where's my God. prescription? <laughs> I'm, I'm allergic to hard work and bright light in the morning. <laughs> ah, you guys. All right, everybody. That's it. We're over an hour, gentlemen. Thank you for your time, and thank you, listeners, for your time. And this is the time we play this jingle. Craig, you can come back next week. Yeah, I'm here. Awesome, Alan, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Same book time. Same book channel. Nice. See you next week, folks. Stay out of trouble. Don't drink the yellow snow. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guys Show will return next week. Same book time. Same book channel. Wow, wow, wow.